Sorry. <laughs> Can you hear me? All right. Hi, how are you? Just fine. I was just introducing our audience as we were uh, segueing into a live stream to Facebook to our show and to you tonight. And uh, just introduced you as a best-selling author. Didn't tell about the book uh, that was your debut book. Uh, not mm -hmm. too many people's first efforts become a national bestseller. But folks, yeah. the dogs of Babel. Mm -hmm. it, it highlights a question I want to ask you. Maybe we'll just get to that question right away. But uh, I picked this up and I, I think I texted you, Carol, that what caught me, and you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but I'm such a dog. Uh -huh. I was in an old bookstore in Indiana, a fabulous bookstore that proceeds go to uh, animal shelters. And I saw this uh, this dog on the front and I picked it up and said, this looks like a good book. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Tell us about what went into, was it a surprise to you, first of all, uh, to have this first effort uh, become a bestseller and what went into to writing, and then we'll talk about the book without getting it, giving it away. I highly mm -hmm. recommend it, folks. Um, yes, I am a promoter of all good things, <laughs> books, music, but uh, I, I just have so much to say, but I want you to talk to us. Tell okay, us all right. Well, well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I agree that is a great cover and it's a beautiful dog on the front. And, you know, that story is one of the reasons it's sad that we're losing bookstores. You know, I, I love it when I see, especially an independent bookstore that's, you know, making it work. But, uh, you know, there's nothing like the pleasure of picking up something off a table and yeah. just not knowing what to expect. And just, you know, it's it's different thing when you're buying it online or something. Yeah. But um, so I, I wrote that book. It took me about two and a half years. It was the first I, I had always, you know, I've always written. I've always kind of wanted to be a writer. But um, this uh, was the first thing I tried writing after I, I got a Master of Fine Arts and Creative Writing. And then um, I thought, well, OK, so if I want to write novels, let's give it a try. And yeah, and and I, um, you know, I found it hard hard to figure out how to plot it and everything. I kind of, mm -hmm. I've, I've always wished that I could just, you know, like write an outline and then write the book to match it. But I, I kind of, I'm more the type of writer who figures that out as they go along. So, yeah. So um, with this one, I just, uh, I made a rule that I had to write a page a day um, and I could write more, but I couldn't stop before that. And that worked well for me. And I've, you know, I've tried various rules along the way. You know, I, I it's not that I have to, you know, trick myself into writing, but it's easy to let it slide, you know, when, you know, it's not a job like someone's, you know, breathing down your neck, you know, it's not a nine to five thing and it's very easy to let things slide. So um, anyway, I, I finished the book. Uh, it, it's actually, this is very um, interesting. I'm just realizing this now. I, I finished all of the revisions the day before my first son was born. And that was 20 years ago today. Wow. Um, yeah, my son turns 20 tomorrow. I hadn't <laughs> thought about it that way. But um, so I, I finished the book, you know, did, spent a few weeks on revisions, then had a baby and then, you know, put it aside for a couple of months. And then um, I started looking for a publisher. I found an agent first and he was able to sell it fairly quickly. And, you know, no, I didn't expect it to become a bestseller, but I also, it was a very strange experience to have that be my first, you know, experience with publishing mm -hmm. because, uh, 
you know, it's not always like that. I can tell you, you know, now I've written, um, I've published four novels and, you know, this, this one stands out as a very unusual experience. You know, I have one other besides this that made the, the New York Times bestseller list for a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, it doesn't always happen. And, you know, it's first first book, first baby. So yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Tell us what went into that. And then you can mention your other books. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've read, written a couple of children's books too. Yeah, I wrote a children's book um, called Cooking with Henry and Ellie Belly. And it's about my two kids who, oh, yeah. That's cool, that's cool. Yeah. Um, the dog on the front, mm-hmm. what, what uh, possessed you to choose the dog that you did? Uh, I'm forgetting the species now. I've actually followed this dog and have tried to inquire about, we've owned dogs all our lives and we're trying to fill our home with the one we lost last year was mm-hmm. a black lab, but um, mm-hmm. what kind of dog is this again? Well, I don't know if the one in the picture is the right, right breed, but it's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Rhodesian Ridgeback, and yeah. I, you know, I picked it kind of at random. Uh, I um, I had like a big book of dog breeds. You know, I start, I, I wrote the book, uh, I finished it in 2002. You know, I wrote it for a few years before that. So the internet was around, but it was not as big a thing. So, you know, research such as it was, was done much more with books, but I, you know, I I wanted it to be a big dog because the, you know, the premise of the book is this guy is, his wife has died and he's trying to figure out what happened. And he, it occurs to him that the dog was a witness. And if he can teach the dog to talk, might know the answers. And I thought, you know, that I'm asking kind of a lot of suspension of disbelief with, with my readers. And Uh if I do, you know, if I give him like a teacup poodle that he's there, you know, sitting with alone in in his office, trying to talk to it's going to turn it's going to turn ridiculous you know I wanted it to be sort of a big noble dog you know and um I just liked the I liked the breed you know it it was originally called I think African lion dog and I just I liked the idea that you know dogs that I don't know lions lions or interact with lions you know it's just a whole different kind of thing for most dogs you know but and so getting into segue into how that the dog was a possible witness to the death of, of, of one of the characters, the wife of the, the protagonist, and how that you, you talk about suspending. So as I'm reading it, and I'm, I'm not sure if this was the experience of most readers, you could, you could let me know that in, in the comments that you've gotten at, at book readings and book signings, but I'm like wanting, uh, and I don't want to give a lot away, but <laughs> I'm wanting this best case scenario, positive thing to happen and yet there's a good ending, but uh, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's one I, of your older books, but, but yeah, yeah, you handled that so well that despite the disappointment, I think I felt, I felt more of an overwhelming, uh, like, wow. And, and, and a rebuke to myself, like, you knew, Ralph, all along <laughs> that this yeah. was going to work out that way. Right, right. Beautiful. You would you would think I just have to say this and I kind mm-hmm. of do the right way to say it, but um, you would have thought that pulling a suspense and disbelief into a romantic kind of poignant kind of grieving would be you can't do that. There's no way, and yet you did it, and I think that's a huge kudos to you that maybe that was part of why it became a national bestseller. I mean, on the front of the copy I have, I think there's a couple. Uh, covers. This is a good mm-hmm. one today that was kind of interesting, but um, the New York Times said it was a captivatingly strange book. That's a great <laughs> way, almost yeah. statement mm-hmm. there. The Dogs of Babel rises to reach a final moment of pure steering grace. I mean, there, there are people, that's their job to write 
Actually, yeah, I know that was a very nice, <laughs> very nice review. You know, accurate though. Yeah. I really think so. Mm -hmm. You 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 sound like you 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 have to discipline yourself. I'm kind of that way too. But yet, yeah, inspiration has to come to us. I write in myself, right. and hopefully someday we'll produce something. But um, uh, but it was the process organic in coming to that moment of those moments where suspense and romanticism and poignancy and looking back with longing and yet being okay in the present. You, you didn't have all that figured out, right? Right. No, not really. I, you know, I am. Um... I, I was writing it as a newlywed, you know, I, it was the first few years of my marriage. And I think that that's uh -huh. where some of the romance comes from. But I was also, you know, I mean, getting used to being married, I would say, you know, it's a wonderful romantic thing, but it's also learning that not everything is romance. Right. And, yes. you yes. know, and, and I was very interested in the question of how well can you ever know another person and how well can you that be, known, you know, yeah. because it doesn't matter how close you are to a person, a friend, a partner, whatever there are still things you're never going to know about what goes on in their mind. And that, so I was kind of looking into, you know, that, but I knew, you know, I know that when, as a reader, it's really important to me when I read a book that there be some reason to keep turning the pages. I want there to be a little bit of suspense there, you know? And so, you know, I, I, I love, you know, books with beautiful, you know, narrative voice and, you know, I, it doesn't have to be like a murder mystery, but, you know, I, um, I want there to be some question nagging at me the whole time, you know, and that's what keeps exactly. you turning pages. So that's why I tried to mix in some uh, some mystery from the beginning, yeah. I think. But yeah, it, it was the kind of mystery that isn't just mystery put out front, full blown, like now I'm reading a Hitchcock thriller. Mm -hmm. I, I guess that's what I just loved about it, that it was because it's nothing wrong with that genre. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. because he was very, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just talking to Bruce Cameron, who uh, interestingly enough, um, in his books about dogs, his favorite genre to read is mystery books growing mm -hmm. up. And mm -hmm. he's got some mm -hmm. series about dogs that, uh, in mysteries, but his best sellers, of course, are the dog books. But, uh, it, but it's very interesting. I think the characters for me were very three-dimensional because of how that you brought in, you never know somebody. And really, as we interact with human beings, our loved ones, our spouses, how do we know that they're not living down the shadow so that they can be the better person for their spouse but yet it bubbles up to the surface every once in a while and that happens here frequently in both those characters right in um, his memory of her i should say but yeah yeah uh, i don't want to say too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean everything we know about the wife lexi is filtered through paul and it's you know she's dead from the very first page so it's not yeah. like that part isn't a mystery right. but yeah. you know the what we what he tells us about her, I, I wouldn't say he's necessarily an unreliable narrator, but in the beginning, he's very much in the throes of grief yes. and he's only remembering like the very best about her. And, you yes. know, it's yes. painful to him to think of any, you know, and he thinks maybe he didn't, didn't know her as well as he thought he did, but I think there were things he knew that he, he has to come to terms with himself mm -hmm. over the course of his grieving. So that's yeah. kind yes. of what part of his journey is, I would say. So and, and the teaching a dog to talk is only yeah. I, I mean, it's I, I you know, I, I took it seriously and it's like yeah. something I enjoyed writing. But, it you know, the, the book is very firmly grounded in reality. It's not yeah. like a science fiction book. So, no. yeah, you, you, yeah, you pretty much do figure out that the dog isn't going to talk. But right. the thing is, it, it's more like that's a way of him working out his grief and trying to sort of come to terms with what their relationship was. And because that it, your hope turns from I hope that 
somehow that might work out. But then when it does, you think, well, of course it didn't like I shared with you earlier. Mm -hmm. But yet it 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 just it's just good. It's just good. And and the resolution of complicated really it is a journey of of um, the grieving process of that individual being such a hero and all you remember is the good. It really it's a good book to uh, maybe to require with the grief sharing uh, groups that meet in churches and different right. places throughout the country. I've heard of that program in this area of Michigan where I'm from. Um, before I moved here, I hadn't heard of it, but there are many churches that have used that. We've thought about, we've used it in the past here at our church, but I'd almost make that required reading so that uh -huh. people could see what, what folks go through, maybe relate to some aspect of it. Yeah, the thing that I liked about writing about grief is that um, it's not a standard thing from one person to another. You know, it's a right. universal thing that we all have to deal with at some point in our lives. But what happens with this character is that things that would have seemed crazy to him like a year ago suddenly don't seem so crazy. You know, it's just yeah. his whole world has been knocked sort of on its side. And so it doesn't seem so crazy. To, you know, he's, he's a linguistics professor. He has... Yes faith in the, and, and he sort of feels like this dog knows what happened, you know, if only I could get that, you know, get that out of her head, you know, right. so it, it seems not so crazy. And that was kind of what I liked about grief as a, as a plot element. Yeah. Yeah. So when you finished this book, how long did it take before you went to your next one and how successful was that? The, my second book, I came out, uh, I guess about three years, three years after the first one. So you know, I, and actually I, I, my second baby was born around the time that the, you know, second book was finished, but, but I stopped there. I only had, you know, I couldn't keep having a baby every time I wanted to finish a book, you know, um, but, uh, my second book, it was called lost and found. And it was, uh, about a bunch of people on a reality show. It's a show that's a lot like the amazing race, which is still on the air now. And which has always been a favorite of mine. It's different. It's a scavenger hunt, but it's yeah. teams of two people traveling around and, and trying to, you know, solve puzzles and stuff. And um, through that lens, you meet a mother and daughter and um, they're the main characters and the mother, it's a teenage girl who recently, was pregnant and hid her entire pregnancy and gave birth alone in her room. And so that's what they're trying to recover from. That's something that happened recently to them. And, you know, it turns out that every team has their things that they're dealing with. There's a pair of brothers, there's people who are friends, they're married couples, but they all have something that they're, they all have secrets they're carrying. And, and it all kind of comes to the surface through the stress of traveling and being constantly on camera. So that's what that one was. And that, that one did okay. You know, it wasn't, I mean, sales wise, it wasn't amazing. It did in paperback, uh, spend a couple of weeks on the New York times bestseller list. So that was great, you know? Um, and, and since then, you know, I've had two novels since then and, you know, they're all, all my babies. I love them all, you know, but those that, you know, it's unclear what makes, uh, someone what, what makes a book successful or not you know it's hard to know I, I think even in the publishing industry nobody knows what makes people buy books you yeah, know it's like I the know. big question right first yeah, yeah, yeah. So, out, this is the quick way to do it but then you don't yeah. want to formulate because right. life is so three-dimensional not just like characters but our our uh, conflicts the people we come in just the different phases of our lives that wax and wane with what right. we face um so it's quite a move to go from adult fiction to uh, to young adult. Oh, I'm not it was a picture book, a children's picture book okay. that I wrote. Yeah. 
Yeah. It just, you know, my kids, it was just, you know, when I had young kids, I was, you know, obviously around them all the time. And it just, um, they had, my, my kids had this game when my son was about like five and my daughter was two, they would have this game where they put on a cooking show Mm -hmm. and it was just very funny and cute to watch them interact. And like the five-year-old was in charge because he was the one who could talk and do all the stuff, you know, but, but my two-year-old daughter would like, you know, like she makes him put on a pirate hat instead of a chef's hat in the book, things like that. You know, it's just like (laughs) they had this dynamic that was fun for me to watch. And so, you know, it was fun to come out, you know, to, to write that book and then to see it, um, illustrated, you know, all of that was great. And, you know, I just, I don't know why I haven't gone back to it. You know, maybe I will at some point, but it was a really great experience to have that children's book come out. And it's sort of, it's nice to have that for my kids as they grow up that I have that sort of snapshot. Yeah. I've noticed that I know that young adult literature is probably one of the fastest growing genres in the country. It has been for quite some time because both parents and kids can read the same thing. Now with the younger ages being written about I've noticed that it's actually uh, a lot of the younger picture books are more like poems or prosaic pieces that you wouldn't notice uh, if you're just a kid, but the way the, the rhythm and the rhyme and the pictures go together, it's actually a very, I think, underrated genre. And yeah. Did you follow yeah. that? Had you read some uh, picture books? You know, I've read a lot of yeah. picture books just because I had kids and I, you right. know, wanted them to be readers and, you know, so I read to them a lot, but um, yeah. And there's a wide variety of different kinds of picture books out there. And, you know, I think you do have to try to appeal to the parents as well a little bit, you know, sure. not yeah. to just, you know, because if you're going to read a book 30 times, you know, because the kid <laughs> wants you to keep reading it, right. it's better if the parent doesn't get too bored with it, right. you know? So, so I had that in mind sort of, yeah. Interesting. So did you always want to write as a, as a young person and were there influences uh, not just in terms, you could talk about this too, in terms of what you were reading at the time, like, wow, that was so good. I wish, or I hope someday, but that as well as uh, direct influences, instructors, teachers, parents that mm-hmm. helped you uh, kind of form that in your mind and your heart as a goal. Yeah, um, you know, I always loved making up stories and telling stories, and that was kind of the origin of it. And when I was a toddler, like three, I told a story to my mother and she made it, she wrote it down and made it into a little book. And, you know, that was kind of a nice thing to have, you know, and from that point on, I always said that I wanted to be a writer, but what that meant and how I thought I would go about that wasn't always clear to me as a child, but, you know, I, it, it was pretty much a clear career path in that there was never anything else I really seriously considered doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, when I got out of college, I worked in a bookstore for a few years, you know, I had various jobs and, you know, you can't just say I'm a writer, boom, you know, yeah. like, you know, you got to make a living and so forth. But I was very lucky in that growing up, I had a lot of support from my parents and from teachers, you know, I, I you know, I always sort of excelled in writing. And so I got, you know, that was what I got praise for I was okay at math but it was never like my big thing you know so writing was what I got good feedback for and it was what I liked doing the best so you know I really do feel lucky that I get to do this for a living you know and um, it is pretty much what I always wanted to do Um, when I was writing the dogs of Babel my favorite book at the time was um, 
The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. It was later made into a movie, which I didn't like quite as, I mean, it was a good movie. It was fine. But um, the book I think is better. And um, when I went back some years later and reread it, I could really see how I had been influenced by, you know, just. Um, Not even knowing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, that that changes. You know, I, I think it's really important for writers to be readers and to read, you know, a wide variety of stuff and just see, you know, there's something when you're a writer, you, you don't cease being able to read for pleasure. That's not quite it. But there's always like a, an extra layer in your reading where you're saying, huh, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Why did you know, how did he do that? Like, and I'm really surprised by that. You know, how did the author do, you know, that kind of thing um, where I'm always sort of comparing myself a little bit to, you know, the, you know, to the writer I'm reading, but um, you know, I, the, I think most writers become writers because we are readers and because yeah. we grew up loving yeah. reading and, you know, thinking if I can do this, you know, that would be what the best I've thing. Noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, if I could just chime in there. And mm -hmm. whatever I'm reading at the current moment in my writing, whether it's church bulletin or uh, that I do or poems or my journal, that some of that, I use this term probably too much, but organically, naturally, mm -hmm. without, without me even thinking about it. It's almost like the, the, the book I'm reading, fiction or even nonfiction. And I try mm -hmm. to read, as you, I think you just mentioned, mm -hmm. a well-rounded uh, group of books. I always got four or five going and, and, my mind is in there somewhere, but it doesn't come out in a formulaic, conscious way where I'm going to sit down and write like so-and-so. Right, right. If you're, if yeah, you're a but, of literature, it happens, right? Yeah, I've noticed that, like, my thoughts sometimes take on the rhythm of the yeah. prose that I'm reading. You know, right. like if I'm yeah. reading something, you know, Jane Austen or something that's a couple hundred years old, and suddenly I'm thinking in like more complicated sentences. Whereas yes. if I'm, you know, so I, I'm, if I'm reading something where the sentences are short and you know very yeah. sort of pithy, yeah. then yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting thing. thing. Yeah. Happened, really, literally, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm just thinking about right. my job as a preacher. I mean, right. it would be quite yeah. if I started preaching like some of the books. Like <laughs> right, exactly. I yeah, do, I do yeah. sense that vein or that spirit of inspiration and that kind of way that they write coming through even that uh what's yeah. kind of cool to think about i think if anybody's a creative person the arts whether it's music writing uh drama speaking it, it just sort of relates it's that other part of the brain that many of us have but maybe don't mm -hmm. tap into the other i've never been the science math guy although i didn't right. know up and i think we had similar mm -hmm. backgrounds probably sounds mm -hmm. better well what yeah. i, I want to do uh it is is it maybe do another interview with you about another book? Would that be sure? Possible? Yeah, few months. Uh, mm -hmm. Keep me reading, but and I, I think it helps promote your books. But what mm -hmm. would you recommend? Now you mentioned one that I didn't notice was on as I studied. You've got Harmony, the Nobody album, and the one you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, Lost and Found, is the Lost and Found. Yeah. So uh, my four novels are The Dogs of Babel, Lost and Found, The Nobody's Album, and Harmony. And Harmony is the most recent, although it's now like five, almost six years since it came out. But yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I um, So I told you about Lost and Found. The Nobody's Album is about a writer who is estranged from her son, and she uh, she decides to go back and rewrite the endings of all her novels. So that's what that one is. And the endings of the novels are scattered throughout the book. So you kind of have to, 
you, wow. you get to see, you know, it was, it was, I don't know, it was hard to write, but I really enjoyed writing it because yeah. like I would get to the end of a chapter about the main characters and then I would think, all right, now I'm going to come up with her novel, you know. That sounds difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there's that one. And um, and also her son is a, is a rock star who's been accused of um, murdering his girlfriend, although she doesn't believe he did it, you know, so that's all going on. Wow. And then um, Harmony is about a family that joins a cult, basically. It's about... Um, a family that has a daughter who is on the autism spectrum and um, my son is on the autism spectrum. And that was, you know, a big part of the influence. I was writing about how it can be very challenging to raise a kid with special needs. And I remember thinking, what would it take for me to, you know, if I, I was also thinking about cults and what makes intelligent, you know, well-educated, fairly grounded people join cults because it happens, you know? and I, I remember thinking I, at, at my mo- most vulnerable points of parenting, if there had been a charismatic leader who said, I can help you with this, you know, come, you come live at my yeah. camp and yeah. live off the land and get away from technology, I might have, you know, I probably wouldn't have, but, you know, yeah. in any case, the characters in the book do that. And um, so that's what that's about. So, you know, I would say, think which one, and if any of those appeals to you, you know. This, this last one does. I think yeah. you're all doing it in some sense. I see you mm-hmm. weaving in suspense again in, in one of them. You mentioned yeah. this last one, Harmony. Maybe that's what I'll do. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'll try to go back to the same bookstore. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> see, yeah. Excuse yeah. to go down right, a right. day trip. But uh, maybe yeah. we can make a connection this summer sometime. And sure, absolutely. That'd be mm-hmm. great. I thank you so much for, for coming aboard to uh, Faith Family Friends Night. What we'll do is, is I'll um, trim this video up and send it to you so you can have it. Um, okay. Friends Thank and family, you. And I appreciate you coming aboard. Where are you calling me from tonight? Anyway, where are we zooming? I am in Washington, D.C. Yes, Washington, D.C. That's where I live. So, okay. yes. And no thank problem. you so much for having you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, God bless you, Caroline. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.